it's a personality thing. Not everybody is wired to sit behind a desk. Not everybody's wired to climb their way up the corporate ladder. And we're conditioned, you know, as young people to do that, to follow in our parents' footsteps or, you know, or our grandparents like this is you were raised to go to school and get a job and work your way up the ladder. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of building and remodeling. I'm Seth Heckeman of Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing panels and other uh, metal building products. And today, my co-host is Todd Miller. Our goal here at Construction Disruption is to provide timely and forward-looking information regarding the construction world. As part of that, we look at new innovations as well as trends in practices, building materials, the labor market, and leadership. If it's something that we believe will impact the future of building and remodeling, we go out and find a leading expert on that topic and invite them onto the show as our spotlighted guest. Today, that guest is Randy Brothers, the founder and owner of Elite Roofing and the Roofing Academy, where he takes what he has learned growing Elite Roofing to nearly $20 million a year and helps other roofing owners start build, and grow their own businesses. He's the best-selling author of Start It, Build It, Grow It, The Contractor's Guide to Success, and co-host of the Start, Build, Grow show podcast. Among countless other hats he wears as a husband, dad, roofing company owner, and coach. Randy, welcome to Construction Disruption. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I'm looking really looking forward to it. Fantastic. We are too. So thank you. So to begin, we would love to hear your story. Uh, what attracted you to the construction industry and what has that ride looked like founding and growing uh, your own company, Elite Roofing? I guess I can go all the way back to childhood when I just always had an a, a, a interest and just, you know, infatuation with building and building and creating things. And, you know, from, from my time of playing Legos to the time of growing up watching, you know, my dad and my grandpa build stuff in the shop and, and, uh, just, you know, create things. And, you know, we, I come from a gener, you know, generation of, you know, if you needed something you needed a fence or you needed a garage or you needed a new kitchen, you kind of just did it yourself. Um, so I, I got exposed to just construction and building and using tools, um, uh, pretty early and, uh, just always kind of cre- felt a desire and, and fell in love with it. And then, you know, as I, uh, as I started to become an adult and I got to a place in life where I had to actually decide what I'm going to do when I grow up. Um, I was in college at the time and, and, uh, funny enough, I'd always been interested in construction, but, uh, I was in college in a, in a, in a city, in a town in Colorado that was booming, a lot of building, a lot of construction, a lot of houses being built. And I just, you know, noticed a lot of construction companies and, and a lot of, you know, really nice trucks with construction logos. And, and I just put two and two together. I was like, I like construction. I like trucks. They're nice and they're expensive. So I mu- there must be some money in this. So <laughs> let's do construction, um, which is kind of the way I got into it. And I found a job as, a, as an assistant project manager for a construction company. And, um, you know, we built houses. My first job was just cleaning up job sites you know, going around after the framing crew and just cleaning up job sites and dumping materials. And, and I worked my way up there to where, you know, but before, you know, I was already, you know, building houses and overseeing projects before I could even drink. 
um, legally. <laughs> so, so early on, you know, uh, I, I just got, got exposed to construction, construction management. And, you know, I became a superintendent with that company, learned how to do design work and, and was able to kind of build and design a few homes early, early in my career. And, and, uh, that was the beginning. That was the kind of the start of, of how I fell, you know, fell into construction and, and, uh, and how I, I guess you could say construction chose me. Yeah, I don't, I, I like riding in those trucks when we go visit our customers across the country. I don't think I could, uh, drive the three inch lift kit truck around constantly, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. You get used to it. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. So, you know, you were with that other company. What was that journey then to go on the entrepreneurial route of, of starting your own? And what had you learned? And maybe what did, what was your vision of doing something a little bit differently when you set out to uh, start an elite? Well, the original dream was to be a custom home builder. You know, I wanted, I was, I was really, I thought that was the cream of the crop. And, you know, if you're going to be in the construction world, you want to be a builder and build custom homes and make a name for yourself. And, and uh, that was my original kind of dream and vision, what I wanted to do with, you know, with my life. And I kind of, I've always had an interest in entrepreneurship and dabbled with different businesses as a kid and even in college. Um, but at, at that time, when I was transitioning, working full time while going to school with a construction company, I graduated and it basically was like, hey, guys, I need a, a real job or I need to kind of figure out if this is going to be a long term thing for me. And they were in a position where they're like, you know what, we, we just purchased some land. It's going to be a while before we get the development done. And we, we don't really have projects for you right now. Maybe in like six months, we will. Um, we want to somehow try to keep you keep you on. But, you know, it was kind of in a transition. So that was it was almost like, you know, hey, force me, force me into the into the world of entrepreneurship. I decided to take a job at, at a lumberyard, which I think was the first and only and last real job I ever had. Uh, didn't last very long. I don't do, I, I'm what you call unemployable apparently. Um, and at that point I just, you know, I was already connected. I had a lot of, you know, contractor connections and, and I decided to just let me, you know, try to do some construction on my own. And, um, I was able to land a basement finish job and, you know, that's, that's what the, the, the start of my entrepreneurial career was is, you know, just figured out I, I jumped off the bridge and I started building wings and, and tried to try to build them before I hit the ground. And, uh, and it's been a quite the adventure ever since, but that's how we got started shortly after that. Um, you know, a couple years into that, I was, you know, doing a lot. I didn't quite get to that vision of being a custom home builder, but I did custom basements and additions and remodels and a lot of those sort of things, but the bottom dropped out, you know, the market, the, the, what they're calling now with the great recession, um, is, you know, 2007, eight, nine. I mean, I'd started my company in 2006. So two years, three years into my company, it was like, oh, the, the, the construction industry is just going to completely disappear overnight. Banks stopped lending. People weren't using HELOCs to fund their basements and, and nobody was building anything. So, um, yeah, that was kind of short lived and I had to really look, look how to pivot from there. And uh, that's when I got into fire and water restoration as a superintendent, took another kind of a somewhat job there and then um, started doing subcontract work as a fire and water restoration contractor. And that's what got me exposed to insurance when I became an insurance adjuster. And ultimately, that is what led me to the roofing world. Um, and, you know, as an adjuster traveling around the country, interacting with the roofers, driving these big trucks and I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? What am I missing here? And once again, the, the trucks brought me into roofing and here we are. 
uh, dove into roofing, became a salesperson, uh, traveled around the country a little while doing sales or quote unquote storm chasing for a little while. Quickly realized that that wasn't for me, wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't going to be a long-term solution uh, and ultimately launched my roofing division of my company in 2010 and been at it ever since. So you had a little bit of a transition. One of the things I often see with contractors is, you know, if their first introduction to construction is holding a a hammer um, and then they decide to become a contractor, start their own business, a lot of times it's hard for them to let go of that hammer. Um, But you kind of had that transition by moving into sales first and then pivoting into your own company. Is that right? Yeah. um, I guess as a third generation guy, I, I, you know, I looked, I watched my grandfather, you know, work sun up to sundown with his hands, watch my dad work sun up to sundown with his hands. And, and I wasn't, you know, around them all the time, but I got to visit them once a year, a couple times a year. And, and that was the experience I took and, and they just worked so hard with their hands and, and own their own businesses. And, and, and it was just this mom and pop business. And, and I was like, I always looked at it from a different perspective of, you know, I want to find a way to build something significant and focus on building a business from a, from a managerial entrepreneurial perspective. So I, I, I wore the tool belt long enough to, to know what I needed to know to, to, to be respectable and be able to be a 21 year old kid going to tell, tell a crew, you know, how to, <laughs> how to lay out a foundation, uh, for a, for a framing job or something. But I, I, le- I, I learned, I, I spent time in pretty much all the trades just enough to get a great understanding of what it was. But my, my mindset was always to find people better than me that are good at that and move myself out of that position so I can focus on building, working on my business. And, and I went to school for business. And I was always, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be a business owner. I don't want to be a worker. I told myself that early on. And, and I was able to kind of use that throughout my whole career. And as a business coach, all the time I run into that. You know, someone who's been, wearing the tools for many, many years and they're trying to make that transition. And it is not easy. You know, I'm I'm grateful that I kind of had that mindset early, but now I'm even more grateful because I can help instill that in others as, as they're trying to transition away from the tools and away from working in their business to working on their business. Um, And and that's kind of, you know, a big part of what I do on a day-to-day basis now is really help people with that journey. Well, and you touched on another important part of that as well, and that you had mentioned that you were looking to hire people smarter than yourself, better than yourself in these areas, and that can be a challenge for some people. Um, so, so that's certainly a big part of that entrepreneurial growth too, is realizing you got to bring others along on the journey who are better at things than we are. Yeah, I mean, it's that is a tough mental challenge. Right. You know, I'm the boss. I'm the entrepreneur. I've been or I'm the boss or I'm the, you know, the carpenter. I've been building and doing this with my hands for 30 years. No one can do it better than me. Um, so therefore everything I do, I'm the best at. Um, and, and we have to be able to figure out like from a business standpoint, what are we good at? Are we good at sales? Are we good at vision? Are we good at operations? Are we good at like details and data and finances? Like they're all different areas of the business. Figure out which one you're great at and stop spending inefficient time working on the things that you're not good at. Amen. Hire other people to do those things. But we have to kind of swallow our pride a little bit and and understand that it's okay. That we're better off 
empowering other people to do the things that we're not good at. And I think that might be a big challenge for a lot of people is, is really overcoming, whether they admit it or not, really overcoming that, that pride piece of, you know, giving up this, this baby that I built for so long and, and letting someone else take, take over or have any sort of input on it at all. It was interesting. Just our last uh, conversation on construction disruption, we had Marvin Montgomery who wanted his piece for uh, of advice. First piece of advice for young people is, are you in your first true gift or your top true gift? He's like, so often he works with people that are middling about in, yeah, third or fourth gift. And, you know, in terms of ranking with their own selves and what they're good at. But when we ourselves and building organizations can be striving to to put people in positions in all uh, all facets where they are going to be doing what they're best at. They're the best at doing it in the organization. Everyone's a whole lot more fulfilled and successful. Absolutely. Well, that was quite you know quite the story up to you know going out and and getting into roofing. So a lot of transitions and pivots and uh, just. R- uh, continually pushing. Um, but the reading up on you ahead of this conversation, the ride obviously didn't end there. Eventually getting out, starting elite, leading uh, 12x growth over an eight-year period. Uh, that had to be quite the ride and journey as well. So, um, you know, number, my first question is, how were you able to do that? How were you able to scale so rapidly and manage that type of growth? And what did you learn along the way? Yeah, I love it. First off, I can't sit here and take credit. You know, um, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of other factors that factored into us being able to grow and scale our business. Um, and faith being one of them. And another one is, is being, you know, blessed with the right people in the right place to help me. And, you know, my first, my first go round was a fail to the point where I actually went bankrupt. I, I went bankrupt. So I started my roofing company shortly after you know, closing and being and literally hitting the reset button. And one of the key things that I learned through that transition was touching back on what we just touched on was got to find someone, got to find people better than myself. And I just so happened to be in a position where my mom was uh, available to help me. (laughs) And I was like, mom, can you do the office stuff? And you do, you know, she was very detailed and very good at systems and processes. And, and she had a, a mentality of, if I have to do something more than three times, I'm going to create a process for it. And that was the mentality we started day one. And she did the back office and created process. I broke process and I sold roofs and built and, and sold the company and tried to hire salespeople and build and get as many people as I can and build the brand and do the marketing and the vision and all the stuff that I'm naturally gifted and naturally good at and let her help kind of do the other things. And I think that mentality from day one of anything that we're going to do we must create a duplicatable, repeatable process for like started early. And that's what kind of set the foundation for us to be able to scale because you build a process, you break it, you fix it, you build a process, you break it, you fix it. And you're able to do that over and over and over, but you get to a point with, you know, with the growth curve, a lot of growth is slow, slow, slow. Then all of a sudden you get this, you know, upward trajectory with your growth. And if you have the solid foundation, if you have processes in place that you can just duplicate, rinse and repeat, it allows for that accelerated growth. You mix in the market factor. And I happen to be in a market with, you know, where I'm in the Colorado market and we had a lot of hailstorms. So we had three, four five years in a row of hailstorms and we're able to just rinse and repeat each, each year. Like, what do we do wrong? What process do we fix in the wintertime? Spring, load up, ramp up, hire people, 
instill a sales training process, instill a production process, really focus on investing in our marketing and our branding, wrap all the trucks and just, we just kept doing that over and over and looking back, we're like, oh, okay, we really scaled this business in a short period of time, but it came down to people, process, and, 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 and uh, you know, committing and a commitment to to growth. Yeah, a lot of people outside looking in, if uh, if they want to, can just focus on the hailstorms and move on and wish they had, you know, some good fortune for themselves. But, you know, the takeaway of you were always operating and running the business in a way that you uh, would be successful when the opportunity came to grow and take that next step. So, you know, key foundational leadership principles of if you're at 3 million, you need to be operating like you're at 6 million. Otherwise, you'll never get to 6 and 6 to 12 and 12 to 20. So, um, yeah, I love that. And that's, and that's, I mean, we were blessed to be a part of that adventure and letting all that happen. But the reality of it is, is is you you want to be systemized, but it's not about the re- top line revenue. It's not about you know. And I've learned this. I continue to learn this. It's not about can I be the ten five million? Can I be ten million? Can I be a twenty million twenty million dollar company? It's 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 about quality of life, people, and the bottom line. How much money can we actually make? How much profitability can we have? And and then it's also about sustainability. You know, a mis- I, I guess you could say a mistake that I made even a couple times now in my career as an entrepreneur is is, you know, not paying enough attention to the market. The first go round, the market changed. I'm narrowly focused on basement finish, remodeling, getting the jobs done, doing what I'm trying to do within this little niche I was creating, whereas the market was shifting around me and I wasn't paying attention. Okay, the bank stopped lending, the things started happening. I wasn't paying attention. I was just head down working. And then again, storms. We got storm after storm after storm. It was great. We were able to scale things. But this time I was paying a little more attention. And I had always in the back of my mind said, there's going to be a time then that we're not going to get a hailstorm. Okay. And it's a very critical mistake. A lot of, a lot of us make, there's going to be a time we're not going to hailstorm. What are we going to do? You know, so three, four years ago, I began the process of trying to create more of a sustainable business model where we, you know, we added verticals and we, we went into com- retail, we went into service, built a service department, we went into commercial, working on building a commercial department. And lo and behold, storms started going away. Three years in a row now, we've had little to no hillstorms in a saturated market with 5,000 plus roofing contractors. So we've had to pivot. And I'm grateful for, for the foresight years ago while things were hot and heavy we were scaling the business to the foresight of we need to do something that's more sustainable and and build a business that's not 100% relying on mother nature that we know we never know what's going to happen so now the focus is growing commercial growing service growing retail and we just launched a solar division so we're going into solar which is another the market is shifting things are changing solar is going to grow rapidly over the next 5 10 years if you're really paying attention to the market and you know what's going on um with with rising rates and with the the trend of auto vehicles going all electric and and the pressure to 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 in, to to invest in renewable energies and the tax credits and all the things that the government's doing i got to pay attention to that stuff and and now we're shifting in that. And now my focus is to build a company where if I get a hailstorm, it's purely a bonus, purely an add-on, not a reliance. 
and not an easy task, but, but we've, you know, our team is, has been working heavily to be able to do that. Yeah. So rare and so powerful, uh, you know, to connect with, uh, a company that, that is taking that approach. Cause you know, we run into, we're in roofing, talking with roofing contractors day in and day out. And, you know, there's a lot of guys in Indiana right now, for instance, who have been blessed by three years in a row with, you know, uh, large storms. Uh, I'm not hearing the same conversations come out of most of those organizations. It's, it's, you know, they're hanging on for dear life. They couldn't imagine, you know, having it, you know, more business or take, taking on more business than they have now. But the smart ones are thinking two, three years ahead, um, taking that approach. So trying to see the forest through the trees in the midst of all the craziness. Yep. In, you know, thinking about that in the context of the world we're living in right now with, you know, interest rates are starting to go up, you know, inflation, uh, gas prices and, you know, countries invading other countries. What what else is on your radar? You know, you've you've honed this perspective and practice. What what else are you thinking about and um, see on out on the horizon for our industry? Well, I I see. A, uh, there's going to continually be a shift in what has become, you know, one of the most dominant sector in our industry with insurance and with storm related, you know, insurance companies coming in and writing checks and paying for all everything. There's going to continue to be a pretty significant shift there. The insurance companies are not just going to continue to have a, a wide open checkbooks. They're not just they're they're going to fight harder and harder and harder and try to imp- institute. Uh, law and pass laws and and get things you know in position to to inhibit the the process that we're all accustomed to of knocking on a door I'll cover deductible and I'll I'll do all the insurance stuff and I'll negotiate the insurance claim and all this stuff that we a lot of roofers do that model and that mindset is going to change and it's just a matter of time you know some people are going to get out ahead of it and they are getting out ahead of it and some people are not. And, and that, that's what I see from a roofing specific, you know, that's what I see as, as, as a big shift, a paradigm shift, if you will, that's going to be happening in our industry and is happening in our industry is, is the traditional, like, um, deductibles are going up tremendously. You know, policies are changing where, you know, if you have a certain age of your roof, you don't have coverage. And there's a lot of things going to be changing to where the insurance companies are doing everything they can to not have to pay out what they've been paying out over the last you know, 10 years of, of us roofers just like beating up this system that's been broken. Um, my advice to anyone out there is to really pay attention to that and adjust your model to get, to get ahead of that and not just be so reliant on, you know, insurance companies and the process, the way it's, it's being handled now. Smart. Yeah, we've been sitting around our office having those conversations of how long do insurance companies want to be the largest purchaser of roofs in the entire country? You know, they they probably buy more roofs than homeowners do on a yearly basis, it seems like. so. And we saw it uh, after Hurricane Ida in Louisiana. It was a very different conversation last year with more homeowners with name storm exclusions and incredibly high deductibles. And it is coming in those areas where they get hit the hardest and it'll filter out to the rest of the country, no doubt. Um, so with this growth that you've had with it, uh, Elite, 
obviously you've disrupted construction disruption. That's what what we try to focus on. You disrupted the market there in Colorado. Um, we've talked about the back end and, and strategic planning differences that, that you've tried to take, but um, marketing, sales, other facets of the business. Um, what is Elite doing differently that has enabled it to disrupt? And how have you built a culture with the creative or, you know, with the creativity and uh, kind of constant evolution towards that uh, disruption and, and trying to constantly improve and see what you can make happen? There's definitely a lot of things to unpack there, but I think it, it starts with, with, with having, you know, and being very intentional about our core values of our company, you know, being describing exactly what those are and making sure that we build a culture around those values and what this company represents uh, what the purposes of what we're doing and and that really kind of permeates around the culture and really you know extends out of, with our brand and really you know out into the communities that are that, that that really builds us up to a place where you know we've become a household name that you know with some of the highest rated reviews in 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 our in our market and and uh, and a lot of that stems from having a great set of values and, and, and hiring really great people that fit within that value set. Very, very, very important. You know, some people, a lot of, a lot of people skip over that piece, <laughs> but that's important. And then I always, you know, I love the dis, dis construction disruption here because my can, mantra as an entrepreneur is I'm always going to look at something and as the way it's being done or, or look at a market and I've had to train myself here, but, and, and try to find a way to do things differently. Right. And one of our one of our mantras or or, you know, part of our, our why statement or, or mission statement, if you will, is to challenge the status quo. Like, what is the status quo? What is everyone else doing? What can I do differently? How can I change it? How can I put a different spin on it? Right. And at the time, everybody was just it, it was the only the, the, the beginning and ending of anyone getting roofs was knocking doors. That's how I started. Knocked a bunch of doors, right? That's how I get. That's how I got my business started. And it's kind of a rite of passage. You don't. I mean, it's, it's, it's free. It's tried and true. You don't. You don't have a brand. You don't have a big bank account. You can't spend all much, much money on, on, on websites and wrap trucks and all the things you want to do it from a branding perspective. Knock doors, sell roofs, right? It, it's, it's kind of a. Everyone does it, right? A lot of people do it anyways to get started, especially in a storm market. So we did that to get started, but we started looking at that. Okay, if everyone is doing this, what can we do differently? And, and we started to realize that, okay, what are some other sources that we can focus on and that can drive opportunities for us? So we focused really heavily in the off season with building relationships with insurance agents, real estate agents, property management companies, all the above, and, and anything like what we call centers of influence. And we even hired somebody that's literally their job was all year winter time, build relationships with these influencers and then next storm season, if, and when a th the theory was, if, and when a storm happens, we'll have to knock less and less doors because these other relationships will start to pay, pay more. So we kind of make the, try to make this shift. Um, and it, and it worked, right? We got three, four years with big storms, taking good care of those agents, those relationships were in place and we we're able to kind of make a transition away from knocking. So we still have to do a little, but you know, going away from that and getting a lot of work and then time kicks in and then you're starting to, 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 to rehash and, and work jobs again and work with clients over and over and over, over two, three, four, five, 10 year period. So all that kind of compounds itself 
to then help scale the business. Again, you need storms or you need some sort of market, you know, change or shift to contribute to that, which right now it's solar. Market shifting, rinse and repeat with solar. A little bit more difficult because now solar, you kind of got to knock doors again, right? But again, we'll, we'll, we'll adjust. Like we'll continue to look at every situation and try to find a way to do something differently. Faith and family are obviously important to you, uh, visiting your LinkedIn profile and, and elsewhere. So I'm curious, um, as someone with a young family at home and, and ambitions myself, uh, what's your advice for those looking to maintain you know, healthy family lives, spiritual lives, uh, while chasing those ambitious goals? I think first and foremost, we have to like squash the fallacy that one comes before the other. Okay, there's no such thing as family first or business first. They're both first. They both have to be a priority in your life. You just have to be strategic about when being where your being where your boots are. You know, if I'm spending time with my family, my head needs to be in spending time with my family. If I'm working, my head needs to be in working, and and vice versa, and and trying to find a way to balance that all out, if you will. Uh, for me, I kind of. You know, I, I have great mentors that coach me through a lot of this stuff. And I coach a lot of people now and mentor a lot of others as well. But one of the key elements that I try to live my life by is, you know, I, I believe there's kind of five pillars of balance, if you will. And, and what that is, is mind, body, spirit, family, and business. And, and what, what, what you got to do periodically, whether it's once a week, once a month, once a quarter, like I do this every single week. I do an assessment on myself, ment- my mind, where am I at? Okay. Um, how am I feeling mentally? Rate yourself from a one to 10. How am I feeling mentally? Uh, body. How am I feeling physically? Am I eating right? Am I taking care of my body uh, spiritually? You know, whether it's, you know, this can be, this can be emotional thing. This can be, you know, it doesn't have to be, I'm not preaching, you know, it has to be one specific, you know, uh, religion or anything like that. But for me personally, it is, it is that. And it's, am I, is my relationship in a good place? Am I, you know, praying? Am I going to church? Am I, you know, serving my community? Am I doing the things that I, I know I need to be doing to have my spirit in a good place? That's how I interpret that, right? That's you know, for you to kind of adjust and interpret yourself. And then comes family. How am I treating my family? It, it, how, how am I being committed to my family? How's my family, you know, dynamic? Am I, is my relationships in a good place? Uh, and then finally business. I put it at the bottom for a reason. Work your way through those first four and then you come to business, like how, you know, rate yourself from one to 10. How am I doing from a business perspective? And then what I'll do is I'll set goals for each one of those each and every week and, and just do whatever I can to try to move the needle, you know, and, it, and it's, it's shift. If you look at it's like a, like, you know, we're watching, we're, we're doing a podcast. You see the audio going up and down, right? You've seen, you've seen those like shirts or, or at, a, at, a, at a church, whatever you see the audio going, it's kind of what it does, right? You're, you're not going to be perfectly balanced in all of those things at any given time. But I think awareness of where you're slacking and where you're lacking allows you to shift your focus to the places that it needs to be. And you just try to build a pattern of that. And that's my interpretation of balance, if you will. Like, I don't know if it real true balance actually exists. I mean, the reality of it is your family time is almost one of the smallest percentages of time that you'll ever have in your life. Are you just sitting around watching TV, looking at social media when you're the two hours you have a day with your family or are you dedicated, you know, hanging out with your family? Right. So, again, I, I'm constantly trying to work on this stuff. I have not perfected it. I'm just trying to, you know, trying to move the needle myself. But I share this because I think it's a good a good exercise and a good way to kind of look at this this whole concept of 
uh, of work-life balance and to, to squash the, what I guess I want to call a misnomer of, you know, one being more important than the other. You know, they're, they're both equally the same family and business equally the same without, without either one, the other one doesn't work. Absolutely. Life is just multivariable and you're kind of, it, it is, you have to take that holistic view. And I love, if you get that first discipline down of just evaluating, you can't not then, if you're, if you're disciplined enough on a weekly or, or frequent and regular basis of uh, just taking stock in each of those important areas, that's going to quickly reveal ways where you can take those inter- incremental steps toward in improving wherever you need to improve. So love it. Thank you. So, uh, switching gears, the skilled labor shortage is mentioned frequently uh, on the podcast, um, affecting all facets of the industry, construction, and, and industries far flung from construction. Uh, obviously, has not prevented elite roofing and um, from experiencing you know that exponential growth you talked about. How have you managed that? What are the best practices you've uh, you all have unearthed for uh, keeping that pipeline full, keeping the team fulfilled and, and performing? I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is a challenge. Everybody understands that right now. Like, it's a major challenge in our industry. Uh, but we there's also some self-limiting beliefs there. Like, if you wake up and tell yourself that there's no labor out there, there's no one that's willing to come work for me, I can't find good help, guess what's going to happen? You're not going to find good help. Okay? It's, it's, it's this mental, you know, block that we get. Like, and a lot of it is we're too afraid to look in the mirror. Okay? People don't you know, work for companies. People don't leave companies. They work for people, right? So what can we do with our culture and ourselves as individuals to be creative and trying to find, you know, the people out there? There are people out there. We just are, are too busy making excuses and trying to, you know, not do the hard work that it's going to take to actually, you know, find the right people. So we're just throwing our hands up. Oh, what's going on, right? Think differently. Okay, if, if, if one thing, one avenue is not working that some, everyone else is trying to do, find a different avenue. You know, there's people out there I know and respect in the industry that they're creating programs where, you know, where, where immigrants and refugees can get trained on how to do skilled labor or high school kids coming out of high school, coming out of college, you know, creating programs where getting involved with nonprofits and finding ways to get people, young people interested in the trades and interested in skilled labor. And, you know, why not put your energy in that instead of your energy in complaining about there's not any skilled labor? Don't want to be too blunt there, but right. no, absolutely. create an opportunity, right? Create a training program within your company. Okay, don't focus on, I need the best of the best right now. And you're trying to poach from other companies. You're, if someone leaves another company because you, your grass is greener, what's going to stop them from, from leaving you because someone else's grass is greener, right? That doesn't. That being said, there's plenty of companies that people are ready to leave from. You gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta use your own, you know, intuition to 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 figure out which which one's right. But I I believe if you create an opportunity to enhance someone's career and enhance their quality of life and have a great culture and have a great you know set of values, again I circle back to that again. You're gonna attract people. People will find themselves. They will they will find their way to you. And more importantly, focus on what you have. And and if you pour into the the, the life of the people that you have, guess what's going to happen? They're going to tell their friends and they're going to be excited about their job and they're going to be happy to show up on Monday, right? That's going to permeate. 
and their friends are going to ask, why are you so happy? Why do you like your job? Oh, because I work for this company. And, you know, that, so that's been, uh, I feel like a recipe, you know, is, is to, is, is we, we really have done well and been quite blessed with building from within. You know, when we're ready to grow and ready to hire people, we've, we've always been, been blessed to have people who work for us say, hey, I know somebody or, or, or past clients or somebody that's experienced your organization that are willing to come work for you or they're interested in coming to work for you. Yeah, we have a customer who tries to take that perspective where, you know, the people I want working for me are working for someone else. So it comes down to a competition between me and them on the, the organization those people want to invest their days in. Um, so building that uh, organization where people stay and spread the word about uh, the, the quality of life that that brings is huge. Uh, so I did, you know, you mentioned that negative just outlook and perspective and the self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, question I jotted down here is how, you know, when you're working with clients, how, uh, and you sense that sort of getting bogged down by negativity and pessimism, uh, how do you coach them out of it? Uh, whether it's a business owner or one of your salespeople or, or other team member, how do you su- come alongside and support them in, in cultivating a level of optimism and, and seeing the opportunity in the midst of whatever they're dealing with? Well, generally, again, going back to the five pillars of, of life balance, there's something out of whack. You know, something's out of whack. Find out what's what's deeply wrong and what's 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 out of whack in your personal life or you know mind body spirit family what's going on there it's affecting your business one one way or another um i think that's a key to it as well but yeah i'm a big maybe i'm just an eternal optimist where you know you do personality assessments and i'm just you know i score really high i'm like i'm just always optimistic and always looking for the silver lining so i think with just that energy of always focusing and looking for the silver lining in every situation Plus, having been through all the crazy, challenging things I've been through, I can relate really, really, really well to just about any scenario and any situation that my clients get find themselves in. And then I'm always going to just help them try to find the silver lining, right? With every challenge and every like difficult situation, there comes an opportunity to learn and an opportunity to grow. Find, focus on the growth opportunity and not the problem at hand. And my job's trying to help articulate that to people to where they get it. And slowly but surely, they'll start to shift their mind to be in more of a positive place. I lo- yeah, I love those universal questions that you can ask, regardless of what the situation is. What are you learning? How are we growing? And that's immediately going to pivot the conversation to a lot more optimistic and uh, futuristic thinking. Yep. You mentioned earlier that uh, your company is starting to Add solar this year. Um, kind of curious, what prompted that? Why now? Uh, what's what do you think is driving that right now? Well, there's a number of factors. <clears throat> One being the market condition, right? I mean, we're I, learning my lesson too many times of of the market changing and me not changing fast enough with it. And sure. the market condition is, has changed in my local market where there's a lot more, <clears throat> you know. Uh, pressure from all different perspectives. And it's just becoming a thing. A lot more people are interested and wanting to learn more about solar and renewable energies and those sort of things. Plus the the changing condition of we just haven't been a major storm market in a while. So if I want to continue to grow my business and actually have control over which levers I push, I need to be, you know, in a, in a place that I can actually, you know, build a business around something that's a, a, a great opportunity, a growing market versus a dying market. So um, that's a big part of it is, is 
hasn't been much of hailstorms and the market is shifting to where a lot more people I feel in the next, you know, five, 10 years are really going to shift towards, you know, going solar. I mean, coming from the, the government down right now, our market is three, 4% coverage. That's how many you know homes have solar. And they're looking to try to get to 50% in the next 10 years. So that tells me there's a major market opportunity there. Yeah. And again, I'm saying this publicly and I'm probably all my competitors are going to be listening like, oh, I'm going to solar. So um, I could maybe help you, <laughs> if, you <laughs> if you want. But, you know, it's it's just, you know, we got to evolve and we got to change. We got to adapt to the market conditions. And and that's a, that's been a big driving factor for us. So have you taken most of your roofing sales team and taught them solar also or brought in solar specialists? We're doing both. You know, so creating, taking our existing team and giving them more opportunity to grow and, and earn, earn income and, and, you know, add another, add another tool to their belt to be able to do both. And then with the, with the, at the, at the same token, hiring, training and developing a new team as well. Any interest? I know uh, GAF has a uh, integrated solar and I believe certain T does and, I, and no one's corning may be working on as well. Do you see a future in those integrated solar products? Oh, I'm sure there will be. Um, I'm, I'm in talks with, with them as well uh, about, you know, what, what our involvement is going to be to try to help drive that in our market. And we'll see kind of what happens. And I, I think there's definitely a market for it. And but the, but the market's large in a way that I don't think it's it's just going to overnight replace the traditional panels and the traditional way people add solar to their house. But again, I got to pay attention. <laughs> I got to be aware of it, and I'm very close with those 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 organizations. And and uh, and I'd, I'd ideally like to be a pioneer versus you know someone who's trailing behind. Hearing lots about how leading elite roofing always you know looking forward, trying to be on the leading edge, be that pioneer. Um, that strategic planning uh, process and you know reading up on the roofing academy uh, is a is a one of the services you offer leading other organizations through that so can you there's a lot of different flavors of what strategic planning looks like so can you give us an, a quick overview of what that process looks like leading one of your clients through strategic planning and how do you for elite and then also with your clients keep that strategic man, uh, strategic plan top of mind moving forward, you know, measuring prog- progress, tweaking objectives, uh, that whole end of things. Well, the long and short of it is what's broken, how do you fix it, right? So so we've developed what we call the roofing success system. And it's it's essentially like a, a, a model, a operating system for a, a fully functioning roof. And we've broken that down into, you know, there's five key pillars. And it's kind of where the, where the academy comes from, where the, the logo comes from. But we got, so marketing, sales, production, people and then finances, right? So the people, HR and that sort of thing. So what we're going to do is analyze each business from those five perspectives and figure out what's broke, figure out what's not working, what needs to be fixed, where the where the holes are in the ship. And we're going to dive in. Me and we have a whole team of coaches, a team of people that all have different specialties. And we're going to really dive into what's, what's broken and be able to fix that and then provide just an, an enormous, you know, an enormous amount of resources both virtually and, you know, human to human resources to help guide and coach, you know, not only owners, but all different, you know, levels of employees uh, from sales to production management, to HR people, to operations, to, you know, uh, admin, we can, we have the ability to kind of help coach and guide and train all those, you know, personnel and all the different roles that a company um, has and or needs. And that's essentially what we're trying to do with the Academy is be, you know, be a, that one source to 
to lean on as you build and grow your business, no matter what pillar is out of whack and what, you know, what needs to be fixed, we have the ability to come in and assist you and help you fix whatever pillar is broken, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so powerful uh, for any organization being able to tie into that proven model. And you mentioned having mentors yourself that have taught you so much and then turning around and being able to do that for the next generation of companies that are coming up. But, you know, we're talking about doing things differently and and attacking, uh, approaching the market differently than uh, our competitors. But that foundation on which we do that from, you know, that doesn't change. And those best practices have been around for a long, long time. And so many guys, uh, I think, are out there trying to recreate the wheel. And um, when really, if they just tie into uh, an organization, a mentor who can, hey, let's get you to the 90th percentile, and then we can be healthy and nimble to react and capitalize on the additional opportunities the market's going to present. Yep. Would you rather, you know, jump on board a moving ship or or moving train? Or do you want to grab a hammer and start building tracks, you know? Great analogy. So uh, like Todd has mentioned, you know, a big part of what we're hoping for with construction disruption is, you know, uh, promoting this industry to uh, younger folks, promote, you know, you mentioned it with the approaching the skilled labor shortage. So uh, what would you tell a young person who uh, is in college or, or even before, like you yourself were evaluating where they can invest their career? What would you tell them about this industry and uh, what advice would you have for them? Well, this industry has, has literally saved my life. If, if you will, um, you know, I, I was, you know, in, I've been in really tough places in life and, you know, the traditional corporate route, corporate structure, it just wasn't for me. And, you know, I've always been very creative and good with my hands. And I like being out in the field. I like being in, you know, I like the environment of, of building and creating things and the construction in general has provided an opportunity for me. It's a personality thing. Not everybody is wired to sit behind a desk. Not everybody's wired to work now work from home or work for a corporate work to climb their way up the corporate ladder. And we're conditioned, you know, as young people to do that, to follow in our parents' footsteps or, you know, or our grandparents like this is you were raised to go to school and get a job and work your way up the ladder. And, and that's for me, it's just it, it, that works for some people. Great. They like that stability. For me, I, I like freedom. I like being able to kind of be in control of my own destiny. And I think there's no other industry that really gives you that, that freedom to, to really get out of it, what you put into it. You know, whether it's being a skilled labor or sales or doing both and working your way up to be an owner, if you, that's your desire, but it all starts with, 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 you know, really trying to do something that you're naturally good at and that you enjoy doing. And, and if you like being outside, if you like, you know, not having the same schedule every single day and not doing the same thing over and over every day, and you like building and creating and connecting with others out in the field, then construction is a great place to go. You know, that there's, there's nothing else out there that, especially when it comes to like sales and, and, and skilled labor, if you can master your craft in either one of those, the, the sky is the limit as to what you can achieve in life. Through the Roofing Academy, I assume you work with clients all over the country. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. What What are some common things they b- bring to you as far as this is my biggest frustration or these are the things I'm dealing with and don't know the answer to? Well, it's, it circles back to the five, the five pillars, right? It's, it's either a marketing problem or a sales problem or both or a production problem. I, I, I can sell, I can market, I got leads and I can sell, but I can't produce. 
or it becomes a personnel problem. I, I can't, the, the right people are not in the right seats. I don't have a big enough team. I have too big of a team. I, there's a lot of personnel issues um, or they don't have any process to hiring and onboarding or finances, which is a huge one is, is very few cash flow is very, very difficult to manage in, in our space and roofing and construction. And it's just such long sales cycles and you people come with all five of those and, or all of the above or one of the above or whatnot. And my job is to help identify which one it needs the most attention any, at any given time and prioritize and execute. And a big part of that with everybody is they, they, they've got to learn and we've got to truly understand what it means to run our business by the numbers, you know, from a financial and from just a, a, a metric perspective, we've got to go, go paperless and we got to have CRMs. We got to have tools and technology and, and, you know, and the proper financial tracking to really understand what we're doing when we're running our business. That is probably the biggest challenge I see is, you know, people coming into this business and not intentionally, but in roofing and construction, like I just mentioned, you can build a career. Very few of us actually have any real business training or, or, or schooling or anything on how to run a business or how to be a fiduciary for your company. So oftentimes we, I spend quite a bit of energy really trying to help instill that and, and uh, update books and fix finances and really help a company with the financial piece and really teach the owner and CEO how to really operate and make decisions based on numbers. Yeah, definitely a powerful transition. And it's it's going to be, uh, it's going to hit home, I think, with a, a number of companies out there that we're coming up on, you know, finishing two years of record demand, you know, a bunch of other cash that the government has funneled into businesses and consumers. And at the end of all of it, uh, there's some companies out there that doesn't know where, don't, don't know where it all went. And so, um, you know, coming, learning from someone who can help them manage that, it, the profit can be found immediately right in, uh, in their current operation. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Randy. This has been an uh, awesome conversation. Grateful for it. Uh, before we close out, uh, I do have to ask you that if you are uh, some, a way we like to end here is with our rapid fire question round. If our guests are willing to participate, uh, no pressure. We have not had a guest decline up to this point, but we can, we can always have a first. But where we ask seven questions range from maybe serious to a little more silly, but uh, let us get to know you a little bit better. Uh, are you willing to participate and let us ask you these? Yeah, let's go, man. Hot seat. Let's go. Awesome. So Todd and I will alternate. Again, We, you only have to make it through seven questions. So. Okay. so I wrote this one as favorite car you've ever owned, but for you, it's probably more appropriate to switch it up to what's the favorite truck you've ever owned. Well, you can ask me the car one because I, I've had some, and I, I have some pretty cool cars, but uh, uh, probably my current truck. It's a, it's a, a GMC AT4 Duramax is a, is a, is a great truck. Awesome. And now what is the car? You're going to have eight questions. I'm sorry. So what's the car answer? <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's a toss up between a, 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 a high horsepower Camaro ZL1 and a, and a, a hybrid supercar uh, Acura NSF. Awesome. Very nice. Question number two, who is a historical leader you admire and why? I don't know if I can go historical here, but I'm just, I've always been a huge fan of, of John Maxwell. Um, I guess maybe I could say historical, you know, because of Stephen Covey's past, but love Stephen Covey and like what he stands for in his books and, and John Maxwell is getting up there in age. He's been around a long time, but those two are, 
uh, I guess it's not really historical, but uh, those two are, have been a, a significant impact in my life. Maxwell will go down in history for leaders, uh, no question. So what is your bucket list vacation? I, I, I've never stayed in, in any of those little huts just that are out on the ocean, right? Where I can just wake up and look down and have a glass floor. I've never done that. So that would be fun, like Bora Bora or something like that. We were working on uh, pitching a deal for the Shangri-La Resort, which is kind of like that uh, in one of the islands. I forget where. And I'm not sure what happened. COVID kind of messed that deal up, but uh, maybe one of these days. Uh, question number four, weirdest thing you've ever eaten? That's a tough one. I don't. I don't really know what's what's weird and what's not weird. Um, probably some, you know, seafood that I didn't know about, or you know, maybe alligator or, or rattlesnake or stuff like that that I've eaten. That's not on our dinner table, so yeah, that, that <laughs> qualifies. Uh, what is your favorite board game? Right now, it's Ticket to Ride. My wife and I and family have a lot of fun playing that oh, Ticket to yeah. Ride. That's our favorite one at our house, too. Okay, number six. What is the best advice you've ever received? Probably in in business school, and it goes back to right at the beginning of this, this uh, interview, and it's find people better than you. Fantastic. Last question, number seven. If you had to eat a crayon, what color would you choose? Ah. Uh probably blue that i think that was my answer to that when we kicked that around it's you know some mind trick that it would be blueberry or something we'll yeah probably because that's my kid's favorite color too so i'd go awesome. <laughs> cool well randy this has been great uh learned a lot through this conversation love hearing your story and uh you know all the more i knew a little bit of it but hearing the uh trajectory with the resiliency and and um, going through all that you've been through and what you've learned along the way and now turning around and helping others in our industry. So uh, we can all be better, rising tide, raising all ships uh, with those key principles of, yeah, supporting people, treating people well, and uh, continually trying to improve. So thank you so much. Um, and if someone wanted to get connected with you uh, to come alongside them or, or uh, to pick your brain, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, so we have, um, I got a, a whole calendar Thing. You can book on my website at theroofingacademy.com. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on LinkedIn and I guess all the other social media channels. Um, and YouTube, we have a YouTube channel at the, the Roofing Academy. And then if you just want to shoot me an email, it's randy at theroofingacademy.com. Fantastic. So thank you again, Randy. And thank you listeners for tuning into this episode of Construction Disruption with Randy Brothers of Elite Roofing and the Roofing Academy. Please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We have many more great guests on tap. And don't forget, if you would, to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Uh, thank you again. God bless and take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off until the next episode of Construction Disruption. 